Welcome to The Returning Citizen, a resource for people coming out of prison and their families, sharing stories, connecting resources, and building community. Today, we have Jacob and Eric joining us, and they are the co-founders of the podcast, co-podcasters. My name is Imani. Yeah, everybody's a (laughs) co-founder. My name is Imani, and we are going to learn more about Eric's story today, and Jacob is going to lead us down that road. Before we do that, I just wanted to touch quickly on kind of where the idea for the podcast came from and what we're going to be doing with it uh, in episodes to come. Uh, So at the highest level, there's lots of amazing work being done in the criminal justice reform space, broadly speaking, lots of amazing projects happening, books being written, studies being done, and uh, all too many people you know, caught up in the system coming out with stories to share. We want to be highlighting those stories. We want to be highlighting uh, amazing people that are doing great work in this space and, you know, with the ultimate goal of educating and ultimately helping folks cope and prosper. So before we kind of kick it off with the interview, Eric and I can explain just quickly uh, where the idea for the podcast came from. Eric approached me uh, back in April of 2016 with this idea. Uh, we were actually at an event that I was hosting uh, in partnership with a good buddy, Dan Horwitz focused on mass incarceration, and Eric approached me with the idea. Uh, we were listening to Yusuf Shakur, the amazing uh, activist from Detroit, uh, share his story, and Eric uh, let me know that he was interested in creating this resource, and here we are today. Do you have anything else to share on that, Eric? Uh, yes. I want, first of all, it's a pleasure to be working here with money and Jacob. And like Jacob said, we met through an event that he had gave dealing with mass incarceration, and I told Jacob my story, and he was uh, very compelled to hear about my idea of wanting to assist other returned citizens as myself to reintegrate into society and just the whole social justice reform that needed to be uh, changed. I told Jacob I had a idea. I was fascinated with technology, and I wanted to help returned citizens, but I was trying to figure out a way, how can I get my voice or story heard, not only in Detroit, or Michigan period, but I wanted to take this nationwide because I think it's really a, a saturated problem in the United States of America. And plenty of men and women is going through this uh, system that's coming home um, and facing many, many challenges, you know, that we all face. There are two and a half million uh, Americans in prison. We have both the highest rate of incarceration and the most people incarcerated of any uh, developed nation on earth. Uh, we're talking about a system that is broken from the top down from the issue that's probably getting the most attention right now, which would be, uh, you know, police community relations, police brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about from where the police are concentrated uh, to what they're concentrating on, the sentencing, the way that people are treated in prison. And then ultimately, once people come out of prison, uh, are they equipped with the resources to reintegrate into society uh, or is the system designed uh, such that people fall back into the trap uh, and recidivism rates actually help for profit prisons because retention is less expensive than acquisition? Definitely. And I think the way that that manifests for people who don't have the privilege of distance from that, like even if there aren't numbers you can get behind it, you feel that, you know, if somebody you love is away for years and years. That's something that has to be worked around. It's not just smoothed out. So I think it's a lot of like dynamics involved in different perspectives that are just, you know, 
pulled into this and then they bleed out afterward. And, and Eric, could you speak just at the highest level? Uh, how does this issue affect you personally? Did you have an experience in, in the system? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, um, I was convicted in 1991 of conspiracy to distribute and conspiracy to distribute and delivering uh, over 650 grams of cocaine in the state of Michigan. And at this particular time for that crime was uh, only since only since I could have gotten was mandatory life without no parole. So the only way I was be able to exit prison was through a casket. And just to be clear, so the mandatory minimum was specifically for the I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, you said that you had, it was the second time you had been uh, caught with cocaine. Yes. First time I was uh, placed on probation. Gotcha. It's the second time I was convicted of mandatory life without no parole. And I, my sentence was from June of 1991 to March 31st, 9.30 a.m., 2009. I was released from prison. Mm. And and uh, if you could speak first and foremost to your experience in the system, what was it like being in, in prison for that long? Mm. I'll tell you, it was a total shock. But one thing... <clears throat> I never let it, and I don't know how people accept this. I never got mentally defeated. Even though I was a very plightful situation, I never was mentally defeated because once you become mentally defeated, I mean, your fortitude to fight is dismayed. So I try to <clears throat> always occupy my time as far as becoming more knowledgeable becoming more knowledgeable about what I want to do when I get out. I always knew I was getting out, so it's not like I never had that fear of, like, I'm going to die in prison or mm -hmm. I'm never getting out. Somehow I just I had that internal fortitude to keep fighting mentally, first and foremost. And it's a very – you had to be self-reliant, and you learn, had to learn how to adapt quick mm -hmm. because leaving uncontrolled – environment with the society to a controlled environment is a, it shocks the conscience if you're not you can't be prepared for it and it's hard to explain you have to experience and i don't want nobody to experience that situation so it's kind of like a woman telling me about childbirth i can't you know i <laughs> you can't, <laughs> can't relate right, i can't relate so it's it's kind of hard for people who never been in that predicament to relate to what i'm saying and it's an experience that I wouldn't want anyone to experience in life. And I, my first, uh, my first day there in prison, I was in Jackson. They call it quarantine, and it's like sometimes you see it on TV with the steel bars and they close it. I shook my head. You say you don't bargain with God, <laughs> but I think that's one of the first things everybody do. <laughs> God, get me out, God, God, if you ever get me out of here, I promise I never. And that was, you know, my first. I was, I was like, God's like, and I wasn't praying individual at that time. But I was, I said to myself, okay, if you ever get me out of this here, and I'd never be back. Right. And that's what you know. I stuck true to my word. I'd never be. I never. I am never going back to prison. Period. Right. And how old were you in 91? I was 26, about to be 27. I turned 27 in November. So I spent plenty, 
birthday. November what? 18th. Okay. I'm the third with Scorpio. Oh, that's right. So you can't lock us up. You can't keep us away for too long. No, no. Because I cut to November 3rd. <laughs> the first day, I'm like, man, was it really worth it? My father said, well, you ain't have to do this. I mean, you educated. I mean, you, you're not no dummy. Why did you, I mean, why did you do it? I mean, you're not stupid. You, you had everything you wanted in life. That's the choice I made within myself. I didn't mind working, but I said, why would I have to work so hard for someone else if I could just sit back and make this easy money? I said, I wasn't robbing the bank. I wasn't robbing anyone. I wasn't taking anything from anyone. So I considered it as a really it was nonviolence. To me, it was nonviolence. I had that concept in my mind was nonviolence. So I was, if you've seen me, I wasn't a typical drug dealer, uh, flashy cars or flashy clothes because I ain't want everybody to know my business. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you may see me have a work uniform on and why not work anywhere. <laughs> Just the thought I was, you know, camouflaging my brand. Like they said. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So you think of other, you, th- you know, you try to get away, you think of other things like I don't want everybody to know my business. So you know, I was trying to live frugal or look like I was living frugal. Could, could you have ever imagined that the sentence would have been so harsh for, for what you were doing? Did you have any idea how? But they always the judge tell you ignorance is not an excuse to the law. Sure. Mm-hmm. At, at what point during the process from actually getting caught uh, to when you when the the bars you know the doors clank shut? Did you? Uh, but actually, I guess, I guess at what point during the sentencing did you realize that the sentence was going to be that harsh? For, I stayed in I stayed in the county jail for six months. My bond was uh, like a million dollars because I got convicted out of Macomb County. Mm-hmm. I was greedy. Like I said, somebody set us up. But if I wasn't selling drugs, I would never been set up. So I can't blame them because I come along with the territory. So I cannot blame them. I take full blame and responsibility for myself. But I got a call right there. It used to be a Wendy's on 8 Mile and DeQuinton. 8 Mile. And so that's where I got you know, first apprehended. Went to the county jail, stayed in there six months. Stayed in there six months. Called the case in 88. But I stayed in the county jail for about six months. And what happened, I got out on bond. They reduced my bond for like 100,000, 10%. So I got out immediately. And when I got out, <clears throat> one of the officers said, boy, you're going to be in prison. Say, hell freezes over. I tell you, you get out, hell freezes over. And I looked at it and started smiling. I said, no, I won't. That's what I told him. I said, I'm gone. So I could have had a chance at that particular time. I had a chance to, I mean, really just to run. They could have been looking for me because I was already free. I was on bond. I wasn't on the telling anything, but I kept going back and forth to court saying, you know, you listen to your lawyer, say, we're going to do this, do that. And I, you know, I have no knowledge of the law and anything like that. So I, I gave faith in my lawyer, which he really couldn't do nothing. So once I got convicted, <clears throat> Once I got convicted, I had a mandatory life. I don't think my my father get him come to court at that time. I don't think they came, but when I got mandatory life without no parole. I just like so I got to get home. I got to get out of here. So <laughs> I got to get home. And once I get home, I'm gonna stay home. Mm-hmm. I said that was my I'm gonna stay home. And I was talking. I always kept talking about what I'm gonna do when I'm gonna get home. Even though I had even though I had life without no parole. I wasn't mentally uh, destroyed. I was kept, I was upbeat every time my family came. You know, because sometimes your family react in a position like that. Your family react how you react. 
So I was always upbeat, laughing, joking with them, you know, just to keep their spirits alive because they they feel insurmountable pain. You just wouldn't know. It might feel more pain than the one that's truly incarcerated. And, and Eric, you've you've mentioned uh, to me a number of times that the coping piece of this is uh, of particular interest to you, that you feel like uh, a lot of people don't figure out how to cope uh, with the situation. So I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I, <laughs> I just uh, got put into prison, life without parole. It sounds like you found something within yourself to, to stay mentally strong. Uh, can you speak to the people around you that uh, that might not have uh, had the the fortitude, uh, you know, to to cope in that manner? And and were there any resources available to you to to help? I mean, everybody have different type of mechanism when they use as cope. My mechanism when I use as cope, I stay like in the law library, fought my own case. Well, I hired a lawyer also, so I fought my own case. I worked as a tutor for GED. I worked in the kitchen. I mean, just keep your mind occupied. Try to, you know, gravitate towards anything that's positive. Because you have negativity in prison also. It's just a really a small microscopic uh, society. But if you want to be involved in foolishness in there, you can. But if you want to be involved in positivity in there, you can. So I, rehabilitation was all uh, depends on me. My independence, rehabilitation really comes from yourself. They offer little minute classes. Uh, I said GED, uh, culinary arts, things, you know, small classes. But <clears throat> So, I, like I said, I just kept occupied by being employed mentally, you know, keep my mind sharp. I wanted to do something where I was going to gain some type of knowledge from it. Definitely. And what happened between... Life without parole to then you being here right now next to us talking about getting that get out that you wanted. Like how, what was the chain of events? Um, I had to go for me to get out the process. I wanted to see the parole board member. And I know she told me, she said, my grandfather walked in there. My grandfather, if you knew my grandfather, he was like almost a George Jefferson type of guy, right? <laughs> so he walked in there and she was like, well, I see you've been doing very well and you've never been in any trouble while you was in prison. You've always been productive. Grandfather, he kind of, he, he jazzy. <laughs> so she walked out. She said two things. She said, and when she said that, I knew I was going to get out. She said, the first thing she said, do you know people will set their mama up, tell her their mama when they get caught for selling drugs? That was the first thing she said. Right. And that resonated with me. But the most powerful thing she said to me, she said, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this to your grandfather so you can get home and take care of him. Mm -hmm. So when she said that, it was like, I know I'm, I'm getting out, but it's a reason I'm getting out. And I think because of this man here who raised me, mm -hmm. I think not only her, but I think God want me with him. Unfortunately, he just passed. He was 100 years old, so oh, wow. he passed wow. in September. So I think that's it's something that she felt, and I, it's something that resonated within my soul for him. I think I was there. I think I was released because of my grandfather. So, but how, how did you go from life without parole to suddenly being in a meeting with a parole officer? How did you even become eligible for parole? Yeah, I mean, as certain because they had stipulations in the law, like if you do 10 years. You're eligible for parole to 10 and 15 and I think 17 and 20. So they had small stipulations in there. And once they modified the law, 
that gave me an avenue to be released because I was already like my 17th year when they came to see me. So after I went through the process, it took me about a year to get out. And then that's how I was able to be released. Wow. 17 years because Jacob 18, and I. 18, 18, 18. 18. They saw you at 17. It was 18 <laughs> years. But Jacob and I were speaking like if you were, it was 91 to. 2009. 2009. That is before I was born. 91 is one year before I was born. And then um, 2009 is the year before I graduated from high school. So that's a mm-hmm. whole life and education and trajectory. So I'm just wondering, like, what was your education there? Like, what what are the moments where you were like, you know, this is the place where I had to learn this? Did you ever have moments like that? When I first when I first was incarcerated, <clears throat> they had uh, college college courses mm-hmm. in Jackson. Uh, college called Springer. It was named. It's the well, still named Spring Arbor College, and they had classes like uh, transfer uh, college courses in Spring Arbor. So I took college courses. Then they had Jackson Community College was coming there. I think a couple of years after that, they eliminate all college courses uh, throughout the uh, Michigan prison system. The only way you can go to college things you had to pay for. It. Mm. So I just I, I got all the knowledge I could as far as education wise. I had some background in education. So education wise, I gained some type of college uh, education, formal education, and I just continued to work like uh, like GED tutor that gave me time to study my, my math. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew some, you know I knew some math, but this gave me more aptitude. And what I was looking for this brain activity, which is important. So being in the learning process. And I started working and it, I started working with, I worked in the kitchen. That was just something to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I worked in the laundry department. That was something just to keep occupied. And then I got a job upgrading computers. I did that. And then that's when I got a job at a GIS called Geographical Information System mm-hmm. where we digitized mouse. We were digitizing mouse for the Department of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. So I learned that. I learned that trade also. And that's, that, I mean, that helped me along with, and plus I would develop a work ethic. And so that's what I wanted to do too. Once I got home, I knew I had to work. So I really wanted to have that platform behind me. So I wouldn't be stuck in a rut and have to, now you have to adapt again. You know, you have to adapt and adjust again your lifestyle. For sure. And and you mentioned to me, I mean, you were reading Inc. Magazine. You oh, were you were staying Inc. up on all the, even though you weren't <laughs> right. using technology right. at present. I was reading Inc. Magazine, uh, the stock market, fast coming. I was telling Joe. In print. It, in print. In print. You right. opened up a magazine. <laughs> yeah. You got paper cuts. Right. Okay. The e-books and all that digital now. <laughs> but like, Inc., uh, free enterprise, fast company. I was reading a lot of technology and business magazine. I said, I want to do this and do that. And I can't. I came for him with this idea, which I have on now, <laughs> the shirt idea. And the officer came to me and was like, I really like your shirt. You know, I think we can do something. You know, he wanted to go in business with me. But I was telling him, no, not this particular time. Like, you might still, I got life without no parole. But <laughs> you might make $2 million and I might not see you again. So I explained to Jacob, uh, that's how I kept doing with Ink Magazine and this magazine, and now nah, I still read, and I bombard Jacob like, what you think about this? What you think about that? So what I learned in there is about being persistent. I'm still, I, I carry that now. I carry that through my life, not being persistent. And whatever you want, you, I mean, you have to really go for it because the struggle is now for any returned citizen. 
the struggle is now. You're in control of your life now, and you have to exercise emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. That's where the coping skills come in at. Mm -hmm. Because you no longer can call home. Your phone, you know, your phone, you call on your phone is on. Uh, your parents or whoever, family members putting money on your account and all that. Now, all that is gone, <laughs> dissipated somewhat. So you're going to have to survive for yourself. And how can you, I mean, what you're going to do to survive when things not go right? Because you're going to face many challenges. I mean, you may not get a job at this particular time. What are you going to do? Are you going to become despondent, distraught? You turn back to that destructive behavior, which is non-productive or are you going to really get out here and make something of yourself? Because everybody looking at you now, you're a returned citizen. What is he going to, you know, what are you going to, what is he going to do? What move, even your family, what move you going to make? Mm -hmm. Is he going to go back? You know, are we trying to help him, but is he still going to go back? Your friends may come over, want to ride. They smoke weed, unfortunately, or drinking it. You probably used to live that lifestyle. So, I mean, are you strong enough and had that fortitude to say, no, that's all right. I, you know, my hands up. I'm through with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you got to be, you have to be emotionally intelligent. And that's where returned citizens and their family sometimes, you know, are lacking. Because they always, the news is always any ex-felon or return citizens the news anytime they do something negative they first thing is on the news mm -hmm. but how many success stories do we hear about return citizens you have a lot of organizations and a lot of individuals men and women out here that's doing something extremely productive with their lives but there, we're gonna be hearing a lot more on the returning <laughs> citizen podcast shameless plug and abundance of <laughs> positive stories Eric, I don't mean to cut you off, but I would love to get a little bit more specific. So in the time since you have been released from prison, you've done a lot of really impressive things. Uh, in addition to launching this amazing project, uh, you're currently in a college program. Yes. A uh, psychology program. Yes. Wayne State. Uh, this is my last last year. So I'll be graduating in the fall of December. Uh, soon, soon to graduate. Amen, amen. Amazing. You've got yourself a beautiful wife. Yes, yes. yes. You recently <laughs> purchased a home. <laughs> I couldn't ask for anything better. Uh, but it, but in all seriousness, you know, specifically speaking to your story, uh, what happened since you were released? What I mean, you uh, seem to have defied a lot of the challenges that you just described that affect so many people coming out of prison. What happened when you got out of jail and how, and how did you uh, uh, out of prison and how did you how did you manage that? I think uh, my family was a, very, was a very pivotal and cornerstone of uh, me being reacclimated to society. It wasn't any pressure for me to get a job, fortunately. Uh, they knew I wanted to work, but it wasn't like we pressure you. You have to go out and get a job because some, now you become the liability. Fortunately, if, if you don't, if you're not sometimes, if you're not bringing anything to the, to the table, you become a liability. So I wasn't pressured by my family for say. I wasn't because pressure sometimes it seems like somebody controlling you sometimes. And when you when you pressure someone, you control sometimes you make them become rebellious. So I think they was more of an ally and alliance to me than an adversary. Mm -hmm. I got my I bet my grandfather we used to kick I bet I bet my grandfather twenty dollars, right? He said you ain't 
I said, man, you got to take me to the uh, Secretary of State, right? He said, man, you ain't going to pass that test. I said, what you want to bet? He said, let's bet $20, right? So you said, you ain't drove for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I said, bet that 20 though, right? I said, nah, if I get, the, if I pass the, pass, get my driver's license, you going to give me the car for the night, right? <laughs> he said, bet, add $20. So I went up there. He was, uh, I took it up there. So she said, you only got two wrong. I said, come on, man, give me the key to $20. I'm about to drop you off. <laughs> so things like that. I mean, we had a, uh, we just had a, a very, uh, open and understanding, I mean, open and understanding relationship. They knew, I mean, well, you know, they've been there from day one. Like I said, my phone never was cut off. I can call home. I always had visits, always had money in my account. And unfortunately, you see guys that may stay a mile from where I was incarcerated, Ryan Road in Detroit, and never get visits. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, there's something that they do. I mean, you don't try to get nobody business, but you, I mean, you analyze, like, what did they do? I mean, you know, some people, parent, you know, some individuals, their parents may be old, things of that nature. And I'm like, you know, I mean, if you don't have family, it's it's difficult. You see it in there. It's like the haves and half nots. You say, let's show the half and half nots. Mm-hmm. It's, it's everywhere in the facets of life, the half and half nots in prison. Some people have, some people do not. Fortunately, I was blessed to be in that category of haves. But I, you know, I didn't mind helping anyone. They didn't have anything, food, whatever. I didn't mind helping the guy here, man, you know, cause I'm blessed. So I share my blessing. I'm like that today. First came home. My first job was working in a clothing store for three days, sweeping and mopping. Second job, I just kept asking. Uh, I was test driving cars. I was about $9, about $9 an hour. And then where I'm working at now, I've been working there for seven years. I'm working subsidiary for Chrysler quality, in the quality department. So I've been there for seven years now. But I'm raising. Good. <laughs> Get out of <laughs> so It's not purposeful. It sounds like from day one, like since you knew that was your situation, you were going to be locked up, you were you know, positive and optimistic and you just knew you were getting out, were there any gaps in that fortitude or moments where you're just like, man, I don't really know. Every night. Yeah, right. <laughs> you be like, every night, but you just can't let it sink in. You know, you can't let like, I'm here. I had to make the best of it. Let me gain knowledge of what I have to do, make plans. That's what you have to do. You have to make plans. It's always a saying, <clears throat> we don't plan to fail, we fail to plan. And I always try to stick by that motto. That's why I'm always probably ask, ask people questions out here talking, doing what I need to do, meet networking, meet new people. Even if I do not uh, gain what I'm looking for at that time, I'm always gaining something. Mm-hmm. So I may not be gaining what I'm looking for at that particular time, but knowledge is power to me. So I'm always gaining something. Gaining something from you. Gaining something from Jacob. I gave some for all the people I'd met through my journey, each step. I didn't, you know, somebody to touch my life. And when people touch your lives, I mean, it's it's amazing. You just never know who you're going to meet in life if you put yourself out there to meet people. Uh, so, I mean, that's the only way I think you're going to be able to grow. You got to be diverse to me because knowledge is multifaceted. It can come from a two year old. To 102 years old. Mm-hmm. So you had to be willing to, uh, 
put yourself out there. Sometimes you had to become vulnerable. Sometimes when we be released from prison, sometimes we have this facade and not, and then that makes you anti-sociable. Sometimes you be like I say, you become, uh, in a very sullen mood, which doesn't allow you to grow. So I'm all about growing, whether it's education, business, personal, uh, Call my cousin and ask them, what about this? Like I said, I asked my wife, I asked my, I got a professor who's re- re- been really instrumental in this journey. I'd like to have him on the show. <clears throat> he came to my wedding. He drove about 1200 miles from Florida to come to my wedding. Yeah. So I asked him questions. He always said, he asked questions. He told, he was my first teacher when I first came from school, but ask questions, write notes down. So I'm, I'm not, I took that from the classroom to the room of life. My, ultimate primary classroom uh, the room of life i ask questions i you know make a difference and they people may get tired of me calling what about this what about that i ask like i said ask her that and that's me that's how i mean to me that that's how i've been growing throughout um my situation since i've been home that's how i've been growing ask questions whoever thought i mean whoever thought honestly about a podcast. I got a pod up by reading. I learned how to boot, boot computers and think troubleshoot computers and things of that nature. So I had some type of <clears throat> basic knowledge of technology. So I was became fascinated with that and I just started reading. Like, like I say, a lot of business magazines. Like, like I came across, uh, an individual. I, I was telling an individual I, I met down the startup grind, an uh, organization called Startup Grind. Have you heard of them before? Yep, we know that. Yeah, startup. So I bet it, and I was telling God, well, I'm going to do something with technology and return citizens. I was trying to feel like a business and, and definitely, how can I do that? Because I know technology is, is really the way, way of the future. Now, I mean, a lot of people doing, doing business. I don't, you, I don't you know. You mentioned Frederick Hudson from right. uh, Pigeon Lee was a right. big inspiration. <clears throat> right. I don't see how a lot of brick and mortar stores are making it now with such, so much online traffic. So I was just saying, how can I combine the two? I just kept thinking and God brought up podcasts and I read up on podcasts, but I wasn't, I didn't gain the knowledge of, I tried, I know I was trying to understand. So he kind of just gave it to me in layman terms. I just kept reading up on it. And then I, when I met Jacob, I asked Jacob about the podcast. He was kind of familiar with it. And I was telling him what I was trying to do. And he was kind of enthralled about my idea. We exchanged numbers and things. We started connecting with each other. Having, we was having a few uh, meetings with a lot of positive people who's, um, uh, they had the same ideology as we. So they would like to help return citizens. Some individuals, they want to hire return citizens. Some just for, for social, uh, <clears throat> justice reform. Some have, some people have organizations to help return citizens. I mean, it's a lot going on in Michigan, in, matter, in Wayne County, period. You have a lot of organizations in Wayne County, period, that's very instrumental and in try to help return citizens. To alleviate this problem. But even though we talk about return citizen, we always, we got to go back and the perpetrator must take the blame for him or herself too, as I say. We know prisons is there to punish and for profit, but we can't keep making these irrational decisions to put us back into that, uh, environment. And I take blame for myself, and that, you must assert responsibility. That's the first and foremost to build character. 
And we can't keep putting ourselves in that situation to be up in front of that judge. And I mean, because being handcuffed, I mean, we want to be shackled and doing the police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. only, it's all, it, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing to you. It's embarrassing to your family. I mean, who's, oh, well, my, my brother's incarcerated or my sister incarcerated, my mother incarcerated. Everybody, I mean, unfortunately, it's like a domino effect. No matter all walks of life, you see it. Everybody knows someone has been incarcerated. Yo, first, oh, you got somebody incarcerated in your family? Yes. How many times you hear you got somebody in college in your family? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Everybody, I, oh, you got, oh, well, that ain't, ain't, that's nothing. I got somebody incarcerated in my family. That's nothing. I mean, it's like, it's acceptable. And, I mean, sometimes that's what irritates me. And this is, cannot be acceptable. And like I said, we got to taste the culprit or the perpetrator take full responsibility for themselves. And I'd like to find a way with this podcast to develop some type of coping skills for families and return citizens, make this a very central hub to find any type of resource that they need, want, and desire. And my goal is to Help each and every one. I'm, I'm, can't help each and every one of them, but at least if I can help a few of them to realize that you must make emotional, intelligent decisions. It's all about choices, consequences. It's not hard. It's not hard. We was taught right from wrong. <laughs> we taught right from wrong from the start when we walked. So we have to get back to the basics of making the right choices. I mean, it's, it's, the concept is not hard. I mean, to me, it's not hard. Either you're going to live right or live wrong. I mean, what's the, I can't understand what the dichotomy is. It's not, it's no either or either you're going to live right or live wrong. And we, like I said, I want to develop a positive atmosphere and positive resources on this podcast. Not only that can touch the lives of returning citizens, I like to touch the lives of their families, children, and the ones that's compelled to help uh, our situation that's very um, destructive, I think, to the fabric of the United States of America. Right. And why the podcast in particular? Like, why a podcast as opposed to other outlets or platforms. It doesn't, it doesn't put a, a, a strangle on just one demographic mm-hmm. with technology and mass media, social media, you can reach a multitude of people. This podcast can be heard in Norway. Right. <laughs> so I'll do for a prime example. And that's what I like to do. I mean, because, like I said, we have a lot of organizations here that's helping a multitude of returned citizens. But somebody in uh, Boohoo, Tennessee, might just be getting out right. and might be going through the same problem that can relate. It's all about relationships. And he might take this valuable information that we supply to the mass market of people, and it may help him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my goal, and that's my mission, and that's my purpose. Eric and I have spent the last six months just actively networking in Detroit, particularly in this space, just learning what 
projects people are working on, talking to people who have been through situations similar to Eric's uh, and the like. And it is unbelievable how much amazing work is being done. Uh, so one of the things that I'm particularly uh, interested to highlight on the podcast is uh, some of the folks that, that we've been meeting that are just working on amazing programs, connecting people with jobs, uh, helping people, everything from growing food to, uh, you know, make, making clothing uh, <laughs> and everything in between. Um, and not to mention sharing, as Eric mentioned, you don't hear uh, too many success stories. You hear so many uh, negative stories. So right. something that excites me about using a medium like a podcast is. Uh, the opportunity to use media to to paint uh, some of these situations in a positive light and share right. positive stories of people that have overcome these challenges um, to help other people realize that there's people in similar situations that have that have uh, been successful. Right. And to make it a point of discussion, because I'm thinking about you and I, we knew each other for about a year before this popped off and we had never talked about mass incarceration or returning citizens like I assumed you know Jacob is smart he's down he wouldn't know stuff but it's never been let's talk about something that happens every day that touches so many people so I think that just from the outside looking in if you're not even ready to have a startup and hire returning citizens but being able to open that door of communication like you said that's how relationships are built so I think y'all are in the right place at the right time Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, in terms of what to look out for in the future, uh, we're alluding to it now. I don't want to call out any particular names because the order is still to be decided. Uh, however, we've got some really amazing people queued up that are going to be joining us for future episodes. So uh, obviously, the interview with Eric is the focus of this first episode. But in the future, we're going to be bringing on other guests, uh, talking to them about their projects or their experiences and tying it into Exactly what it is that we're talking about here, which is how to help uh, folks that are returning from prison successfully reintegrate into society. Uh, we thank you for listening. The inaugural kickoff uh, returning citizen podcast and look forward to seeing you subscribe and tune in for future episodes and like and share and comment and talk when that's a possibility. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. All right. well, thank you very much. And, I and appreciate it. I, I do just want to say one more thing. Uh, thank you, Eric for being so uh, unbelievably honest and forthcoming with your story. Uh, I can only imagine that this is something that, you know, has an emotional toll uh, for you. It's something that you and I have been hanging out now since April. Uh, we haven't even, you know, talked about explicitly very much just because it can be an uncomfortable topic and I don't want to, you know, push, no. put, you know, push buttons in the wrong way. So I really appreciate you, know, you, you, uh, right. you right. being so honest and uh, laying that out there for uh, to, to help other people who might be going through a similar situation. Oh, that's that's my purpose. Yep, that fortitude, emotional intelligence. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome.